city, really stretched at one point, but people were here still welcoming, carrying up food to hungry clergy so they could learn more about how to be clergy. There were people in the cafe, it was absolute chaos at one point, but Blessed Jane was here and other people just helping. And what are we doing when we do that? We're saying we are welcoming you in God's name because we want to be the presence on earth of people who say God is a welcoming God and you're so welcome, come in. But sometimes what I think people expect of church is they're going to be watched really carefully just like Jesus was. And today it's the turn of the Pharisee and it's the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath in the Jewish community was a great celebration, a time to enjoy life as we're doing today on this Harvest Festival, to give thanks for God, to stop in the week from all the business and activity and remember God, remember our identity, that we are all children of God, to remember to celebrate that, to put on fine clothes they would have done. They would have eaten food that had all been prepared before. There was a celebration of life and life in all its fullness. And so in this sense of Sabbath and celebration, but also with the power of the unspoken and the carefully watched Jesus, what is going on? It seems that Jesus is the one person you would not want to invite to a party because he completely crashes it. If we read through the whole of chapter 14, it seems that immediately Jesus sees the need of somebody who needs healing. It's a Sabbath, big no-no. But he heals on the Sabbath. He then challenges the guests who were all trying to get the best place and he confronts them and he challenges them and he confronts the host directly for only inviting sociably acceptable people. This is all going on in this party on the Sabbath in the Pharisee's house that Jesus has stopped at and said, God's here to welcome everybody. But you seem to have a degree of who you want to welcome and who's good enough to welcome and there is this air of tension deep tension in the air. And Jesus is actually making people feel uncomfortable. Where really they just want to have a good time. So it's all getting a bit tense and then a really, really good person tries to do the right thing and he interrupts to break the tension as we sometimes do. When it's getting a little bit difficult, we suddenly change the subject and we veer off in a completely different direction. And in verse 15, this is what happens. It's a religious proverb that everybody agreed that only the children of Abraham would be invited to the Messiah's feast. None of those who are unclean would be there. There's a sort of an exclusion, exclusivity, an elite kind of feeling that this party is for special people that God has chosen. And Jesus replies, and he doesn't contradict the person, but he tampers what he said. What the person has said seems to have been said without feeling and without thought. And it's always dangerous for people to speak without regard for their, what feelings they have towards it, especially preachers. We have to live the word, not just speak the word. And the questioning guest does not feel what he's saying in the context of what Jesus is already highlighting, of all this segregation in the party, special guests sit here, not so good guests sit here, the sick certainly aren't here. And all this man is, all he's trying to do is break the tension. And so Jesus then tells this story, a parable. He loves stories. A person, the master of the household, who we are seeing here as God, decides to give a great banquet 
And just through that one word, we get a glimpse into what the kingdom of God is about. It is a banquet. It is a celebration. And it's put in the context of a great meal. It's not meager. It's not stingy. It's an abundance. It's overflowing. As we see here, an overflowing of what the earth has provided. God is saying there is a great banquet. It's abundant. It is full. And someone has said that being a Christian is like being at a wedding feast every day. Is that your experience? Being a follower of Christ is like being at a wedding and just enjoying the celebration of life, of covenant relationship with Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, many, many are invited to the feast. Many are invited to this banquet. And that many here in the Greek means the whole world is invited. Don't tell Mike. Imagine inviting the whole world to Mike's Munch today. My goodness, we'd need a few fatted calves, I'm sure. But Jesus has this idea, a bigger vision of this banquet. Bigger vision, that it's for the whole world to come. Now, the custom would have been that to invite guests with great honor, they would have been sent two invites. One, a long, long way in advance, a bit like a wedding. A save the date kind of thing. This event's going to happen, and you've got to be there. And that's what Jesus is saying has happened. The prophets have come, you see. They said this event is going to happen, as we heard from Isaiah. Something great is going to come. God is going to come. Be ready. So the invites have already gone out to the Jewish community. And then second, on the day itself, a servant would be sent to say, come, come. Imagine this servant running through the hills. Come, everything's ready. Everything's ready. Come on, come on. Now is the time. Don't miss it. Come, everything is ready for you. And this speaks of God again, doesn't it? This word banquet, great abundant feast. But also come, come now, come now, everything is ready. There are no obstacles, you see, to come to God. Because God's going to provide everything. Come all who are thirsty, come without money. All things come from him. And of our own do we give him. And we rejoice on this harvest day that we have this invitation reflected in Isaiah 55. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Come, come without money, come without cost. It's a free meal, everybody. Who would miss a free lunch? And so the servant who is Jesus, Jesus we're remembering from Bishop Peter a few weeks back is the anointed one, but he's also the sent one. Jesus has been anointed with this message, he's anointed as the son of God, and he goes out into the world, into the world to say, come, now is the time, everything is ready. And yet one by one, each person who's invited gives an excuse. One has brought some land and has to go and see it. The other one has got some oxen and they have to go and plow. I'm sure you don't plow like that, but it's a bit like that anyway. Another one's got married and is claiming their Deuteronomy year, where they can have a year off from everything. We should have that in church now and again, a year off from all rotors. Janet's trembling here. No, no, sorry. sorry. But the idea is that you, you, know, you don't do anything when you've had your first year of marriage. You focus on that relationship. But gradually we're seeing a crescendo here of people saying, no, I pray, I'm sorry, I can't come. And then... No, I'm sorry, I must go and do this. I must go and do this. This is more important than what you're inviting me to. To ultimately saying, slamming the door in your face and saying, I'm not going to come to your party. I've got married. And it just keeps building. This sense of rudeness. This sense of not 
going to what you've been invited to, that you've already been told about long, long way in advance. And suddenly all these things come up. Suddenly you have to go and see this land. Suddenly you've got to try this new car now that you've just bought. Suddenly you've, you can't invite your wife to the same party. All these excuses. The one thing they seem to have in common is that they were rich. They knew before that they were invited and they all seemed to be quite busy. Buying land, being successful, having a relationship. Just like the world. So much goes on in the busyness of life. And so the servant, we see, goes back to the master. And the master, God, becomes angry. God is angry. And yet he uses his anger creatively. And he said, right then. Before he didn't say that, because he's not, you know, right then. But draw up another list. Let's draw up another list. Go out into the city. Bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant goes at once, it seems. There's no, there's no questioning here. Oh, no, we can't invite those people. No, the servant goes immediately at his master's bidding. No questions are asked. It's such a fast God, you see, always leaving just as we are arriving, R.S. Thomas wrote. For God is keen. God is enthusiastic. God is never going to give up on wanting to share the abundance of his feast. Everything is ready, you see. Everything is ready and nothing is to be wasted. And though the servant is sent to invite the uninvited, the blind, you see, cannot see to go and buy a field. The lame, you see, cannot do their oxen because they can't walk. And yet what these people feel is that they are not good enough as others. They don't feel worthy of an invitation. And they're going to take some convincing. So the servant does not call them as, in a sense, he goes out and calls those who've been invited. He is told to bring them. It's quite a different command. He's told to bring them, compel them. And he has to go. And this is Jesus, remember, God of the broken, God of the weak. Give me your heart of compassion, God. He has to go. And he has to help them move on from their feelings of unworthiness. And some do come to the banquet, we are told. Some of those in the city come because they break out of the prison that they are in of feeling shame or unworthiness or not good enough. But it's not yet full. It's a very interesting thought, this, isn't it? God is not satisfied until it's full. There is still room. And so the servant is sent even further afield, outside, into the fields, literally, into the highways and byways to find the tramps, the lepers, the beggars who can't even get themselves there physically. And normally they are the despised of the people of the city. And the master instructs the servant to compel them, presses them, really wants them to come in, that they are to be here too. And the desire to be fed is within them because they want to be there. They want to be part of life again. They want to come to life themselves too. But they do not believe the master would want to feed them. 
And so the first group are called and are invited. The second group are literally dragged from the city into the banquet hall. And the third group are compelled. They are pressed to come in. And this crescendo builds with the crescendo, the decrescendo, whatever it is, you know, the going down. Is that right? Diminuendo, diminuendo, decrescendo. Anyway, it's going down, it's going down. Descending, you know, I cannot come, I'm sorry. I must go and do this. Slam the door in your face, I'm not coming. Suddenly it builds again. God who suddenly sees something new coming to life out of something that seemed quite negative. I've been called an, a boundless optimist. And we have to be boundless in our optimism for God because God can do amazing, great things. And the host is doing everything he can to have the house full. And as we celebrate harvest today, we thank God, we do, and we need to, for the abundant blessing that God has revealed through the earth. I read a report to say there is enough food in the world to feed everybody. We just can't get it to everybody. That's part of the problem. And it's great that we have organizations like Food Bank who can take the abundance of our generosity. We are so thankful. We want to share that, thankfully, with others, as Esther said. And we can then share that with people through the Food Bank who will then distribute it to others. And so it continues. And it's a microcosm of what could happen with our thankfulness and our generosity. And it's great that we have it. But also there is a sense here of the harvest of people. A harvest that God desires people to come home. He wants those who are far off, those who may feel unworthy, those who feel shamed, those who do not know that God loves them so much. This story is saying to us this morning, let me show you my generous, abundant love that is like a great banquet, a great party. Give me the chance, God is saying, to show you my generous love. This would be some kind of harvest. And Bath Deanery, that's all the Anglican churches in Bath, there's about 3,250 people in churches in Bath at this moment in time. And in its mission to follow Christ in being anointed and sent out into the world to press people to come home, we're seeking over five years to see that grow to 4,000 people who are coming home to God because there's still room. Look around you. There is still room. The balconies are not yet full. And so Bath Deanery, the one that you are in, believe it or not, in the Diocese of Bath and Wells, we are affiliated to the Church of England, we are part of the Church of England, has this great vision not to see decline and just maintaining and seeing churches just dwindle away into the darkness of the night. They see a great fire growing, a great harvest coming, a mission of discipleship that will spread across the city and see our churches full, that we are praying for revival, that people will simply come and know Christ. We have at the end of this story, you see, a beautiful image. And you really have to see it. I've seen it. I saw it at the crosses of Liabi when we were there on our house party. A whole family that God has created from all kinds of different places, different people, standing under the cross at Liabi when we were there on our house party. Not just the invited people, but those who perhaps would think they would never find their way into church. Do pray for the PCC this coming Saturday as we meet at 8.30 in the morning. Pray for that until lunchtime. 
We're seeking to work and pray on plans to deliver the vision of opening our doors of the home of grace and saying, you're so welcome. You are so welcome. And how can we do that more? And I pray this harvest season that we're in may inspire us to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send more laborers, because the harvest, I believe, is white and ready. But how will they come if they do not know that they are welcome? It's great when kids come home and the table is full of food and laughter, the sharing of lives, and this is the image that God wants, not just for his family, as it were, the chosen ones who are invited, but actually for everyone, for the whole world to come. And I've changed this morning the ending of this because I feel I want to make us feel uncomfortable because Jesus made people feel uncomfortable at the beginning of this meal. And at Growing Leaders yesterday, we started with a group of leaders, brilliantly led by Esther. Thank God for her gifts. Thank God that her gifts are being offered to the kingdom of God in how she is drawing this group together in community to build them up in the love of Christ. A, a wonderful thing to be at, really. And we were given different bits of scripture to go and look at. And somebody came back and from in looking at the model of Jesus and his leadership by saying, well, he was quite challenging. And he set the bar quite high for his disciples. And where do you see that in your own leadership? Where do you see that you are challenging? You are setting the bar high. And it's quite a challenge to me that sometimes leaders need to say, actually, this is a challenge. This is what we've really got to do and step up a bit. Pity England could step up a little bit. Australia was stunningly good last night. So was Snow Hill. It's a brilliant event. So I want to say three things finally. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us because you know heaven is going to be like a party. Virginia's having a party. She really is. It is a beautiful place. And the image that we have is that God has a banquet prepared for us. Now, if you don't like parties, that's going to be very interesting. I'm sure there'll be a room where there's a quiet space now and again, just to go and put yourself. When you've had enough of people, you know, you think, oh, I just can't take this anymore, God. I can't take all this worship and partying. There'll be a little room, don't worry. Well, probably a big room. We'll have our own rooms, obviously. Our room is in our own mansion. Every, everyone has a room somewhere in heaven. But anyway, there'll be party. Now, church is meant to reflect party now and again. We were, had a great, I had a great idea of just turning the whole church into a big banquet hall this morning and having tables with flowers on and all sorts of things and feasts that we could just tuck into. But this is a massively busy weekend and there are so many resources we can have. But it looks beautiful. Thank you for the team. But it... It's this idea that where is church reflecting what is to come? That when people come here, they don't feel they're being carefully watched just to see how they do things, how their life is. Well, they're not so good at that, are they? Jesus experienced that. He didn't like it and he challenged it. And I challenge me and I challenge you. What do we do when people come that God is sending? Because he wants everybody to come. And you don't like them. And I don't like them. Where we sit under the commandment of Jesus, love one another. He doesn't ask you to like the person you're sat next to. No, he demands much more. He asks you to love them. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is to pray for 45 more people to come. That's the figure God's given me. It's not a big figure. 
It's not an overwhelming figure, but I'd like to see 45 more people come to our church. And then they will know other people. And because they'll be new to Christ, they'll know people, perhaps, who aren't Christian. And they may bring others. We need 45 people to come who know other people who know other people. And we need to build the invitation that goes out and says, you're really welcome. We are known as a really good welcoming church. The clergy deanery here were beautifully looked after and welcomed. And I'm deeply thankful for that. We have a huge amount going for us in the 45 who I need you and challenge you to pray for. But some of that too, in that challenge finally, is this. One of the big challenges of this actual passage is about time. Time. Time that waits for no man or woman. Time is the space you fill with your choices. Time is a space you fill with your choices. I want to challenge you and me, what are you filling your time with and who, who is making your choice? And is God in that? Because some of the choices we can make are where we make time to be with people who we know God is calling us to invite. And we will need to give them time because the servant Jesus, the anointed sent one, had to go out beyond his own comfort zone. He had to leave the heights of heaven and come to earth, go into the city, go into the highways and byways, go into places that perhaps no one would have thought God would ever go. And I challenge you and I challenge me with all the thankfulness in our hearts for what God has done for us. Who is the one person you are going to share that with? Because you may have one of the 45. Who is God putting on your heart to build relationship with who has no idea there is a feast prepared for them that we're going to enjoy in a minute. This isn't down to just me. It isn't down to Esther. We are the body. There are, there are no volunteers in the body. You need every part of your body. Every part of your body is needed. Everyone is needed. Because remember, we are followers of Christ, the anointed and sent one. And I challenge us to create the party. I challenge us to pray for the 45. And I challenge us to say, come, come, come home to God. Don't wait till it's too late. Who is the person God is calling you to invite to the feast? Don't forget this. I have seen the balconies full here. I have faith because I'm boundlessly optimistic in the certainty that God wants his house full. You might not.
you may be very comfortable. Jesus made the Pharisee's house very uncomfortable and brought all kinds of people. 